Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Atrocities of unimaginable proportion. You must strengthen sanctions against Russia. Russia is not in a position at this point to establish a ceasefire. They seek a surrender from Ukraine. This is not what they are going to get. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a political trivia Thursday. We'll plan a little bit. Your category today is uh, Daylight Savings Time, which uh, happens this weekend, by the way. Um, Not that this really is that important in the light of the situation across the globe, but Major League Baseball and the Major League Ball Players Association agreed to a new labor deal, ending a 99-day lockout and ensuring a full 162-game season. It looks like opening day will be April the 7th. Uh, I mean, in all honesty, who cares? (laughs) I'm so sick of professional sports. Uh, A number of media outlets is reporting this afternoon that Madison Cawthorn has stepped in it. Madison Cawthorn told supporters this past weekend that he thought Ukrainian President Zelensky was a thug, a comment that runs counter to the overwhelming share of Republicans with a favorable view of the leader fending off a military invasion from Russia. Quote, remember that Zelensky is a thug, Cawthorn said in a video obtained by WRAL. Remember that the Ukrainian government is incredibly corrupt and is incredibly evil and has been pushing woke ideologies. While it was unclear when the video was taken, Karl Rove, who served uh, under George W. Bush, first reported Cawthorn's remark in a Wall Street Journal op-ed piece. He wrote that the event took place in Asheville over this past weekend. He sought to justify calling Zelensky a thug by accusing the Ukrainian president of pushing misinformation on America He posted a link to a conservative blog post with examples, including a story of Ukrainian soldiers on Snake Island who were feared to have been killed on February the 24th. Russia attacked uh, being reported as alive and well. Um, Cawthorn, who's running for re-election, basically tried to walk back his remarks earlier today by saying, I am praying for Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Now, I, I have no doubt that um, Zelensky is putting propaganda out there. And as I said earlier in the week, if I was Zelensky, I would be too. I mean, if, if my people are being slaughtered by the Russians, I'm going to do and say anything to try to get the attention of the rest of the world to come in and help us. Some, uh, now, um, Madison Cawthorn has got some primary competition Uh, as he's running for re-election in Congress. One of the 11th Congressional District opponents, Michelle Woodhouse, called the comments about Zelensky out of touch and boorish. She said she considers Zelensky a hero. Republican State uh, Senator Chuck Edwards, who is taking a more center approach to his bid against Cawthorn, clapped back on the congressman's remark, let's be clear, the thug is Putin. We must unite as a nation to pray for Zelensky and the brave people of Ukraine who are fighting for their lives and their freedom. Anything less is counter to everything we stand for in America. 
A National Quinnipiac survey of U.S. adults released this week found that 64% of American adults have a favorable opinion of Zelensky, with 29% saying they haven't heard enough about him, and only 6% have an unfavorable opinion. Now, I will say, I don't know that much about this guy personally. I can't make a comment on whether he's a thug or a good guy or a bad guy. I mean, in terms of his, his, his personal life, I don't know. But I do know that those people are getting slaughtered. And without us getting into a war with Russia, the United States versus Russia, um, we need to be doing all we can to help those people that are getting slaughtered. I mean, like it or not, they're women and children are being killed. I mean, there's a report out today that uh, of the citizens' deaths in Ukraine, 41 of them are children. So anyway, I, we'll see what um, Madison has to say about that. I, I would say he stepped in it and didn't choose his words real carefully. Town Hall and a bunch of media outlets are reporting on the vice president, Kamala Laughing Hyena Harris. So she's sent over to Europe, and uh, she has a press conference with Andre uh, Duda, the Polish president, Harris was asked about the ongoing flood of refugees into the country. Duda was also asked a question after a brief, well, here it is. I mean, typical laughing hyena, Kamala Harris, cut one. I wanted to ask you about some reporting that my colleague here in Poland noticed. He recently spoke with the mayor of the largest border town who told him that the refugee system is essentially not set up for this, that it will collapse. It's an improvised system that can work for maybe two weeks, but not indefinitely. And I'm wondering what the United States is going to do more specifically to set up a permanent infrastructure. And relatedly, is the United States willing to make a specific allocation for Ukrainian refugees? And for President Duda, I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. (laughs) A friend in need is a friend indeed. First. Okay, so this time. Madam, the situation is very complex. This is what I was. Uh, yeah. What an embarrassment. There's other few choice words I'd like to say about her, but I'll keep it PG. What an embarrassment. And she was ripped by. Uh, actually both sides of the aisle. One individual who totally ripped her was Ayulia Mendel, who was the former press secretary to the Ukrainian President Zelensky. Um, She came out and said, quote, it would be a tragedy if this woman won the presidency. (laughs) I don't know who this Ayulia Mendel is, but uh, I will agree with her on that. It would be a tragedy if this woman was the president. Mendel's tweet was directed at the video that you just heard. Harris was ripped by critics following the exchange, accusing her of looking to Duda for help in answering a question and slamming her for laughing amid the suffering Ukrainians at the hand of the Russian military. I mean, is the woman on drugs? Do you not know that this is in the middle of a war that people are are getting slaughtered? 
that in Ukraine they're having to dig mass graves and putting the bodies in body bags and just dumping them in just for the to keep disease to a minimum? And this woman's got a yuck-yuck. Uh, it doesn't end there. So um, she was asked comments, and they, they did the Q&A, and Harris made remarks and assured that Poland, NATO, and Ukraine, the United States will continue to be solid partners against Russia. Um, her comments are like a word salad. Once again, like a word salad. I mean, this woman, the best way I could describe it, I mean, first of all, a high school freshman could have just out of casual observation watching the news for four or five days for 15 minutes a day could have come up with a better statement than what Kamala Harris came up with. But this woman, when you were in college, you ever had to take a course in, in you know, giving public speaking, doing a speech? I mean, even in high school, you probably had to do that. And uh, you had to prepare. And, you know, the, the biggest fear that any individual has is public speaking. I mean, that's, the, you know, if you do a survey, that's the n- number one fear. Well, remember back in high school, you'd always had some kid that would forgot that he had to give this speech. And inevitably, instead of just confessing and that I didn't do any preparation and getting an F, he or she gets up and tries to wing it. That's what Kamala Harris sounds like she is doing. Here she is from earlier today. Cut to. The U.N. has set up a process by which there will be a review and investigations, and we will, of course, participate as appropriate and necessary. But we all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet based on what we've just been able to see, and because we've seen it or not doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But just limited to what we have seen. Pregnant women going for health care? Being injured by, I don't know, a missile, a bomb? In an unprovoked, unjustified war? where a powerful country is trying to take over another country, violate its sovereignty, its territorial integrity, for the sake of what? Nothing that is justified or provoked? Absolutely there should be an investigation. And we should all be watching. And I have no question the eyes of the world are on this war. And what Russia has done in terms of this aggression and these atrocities, I have no doubt. How did this woman get to be vice president? (laughs) I'm telling you, I I mean, this is our best and brightest. This is who we send over to represent the United States in the middle of this war. I understand that, you know, these European countries are very, they, they don't want to, tarnish their relationships with the United States. But I, I, would, I would have loved to have heard, let me put it this way, I would love to be a fly on the wall when President Andre Duda goes home and it's just he and his wife and uh, they're sitting down for dinner or getting ready for bed. I would love to, to hear what he would actually say to his wife in terms of what he thought of our vice president. 
What an embarrassment. Fox News is reporting Republican senators are blasting the Biden administration's refusal to provide combat aircraft to Ukraine, expressing skeptic, they're skeptical over the claim that such a move could escalate uh, tensions between the United States and Russia. Several members of the Senate Intelligence Committee called out the administration during the Thursday hearing. Tom Cotton noted that according to U.S. intelligence in January, Russia did not want a direct conflict with the U.S. Cotton doubted that this would have changed, considering that Russia's getting shellacked. You think they're more likely to want a conflict now after Putin has seen the performance of his army? Cotton asked the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines. You think they're more likely to want a piece of us now than they were two months ago? Haynes said it was not a question of Russia wanting a conflict, but perceiving the United States as being in that conflict. What does that mean? It sounds to me like that means uh, that might not be good political optics for the Biden administration. Cotton was not convinced, arguing that it appears that Putin deterred the Biden administration by claiming that transporting aircraft would be escalatory. And if that's going to be our position, we might as well call the commanding general at Fort Lewis outside of Seattle and tell him to take down the flag and surrender our position, Cotton said, posting uh, a positioning that Putin would not stop in Ukraine or even Europe, but will go all the way to the West Coast if the United States backs off every time he issues a threat. I mean, there's no way you can back off time and time and time again. Have we not learned that through history? Did Neville Chamberlain not teach us anything? You're going to keep backing off. They're going to keep going forward. Cotton had asked for new specific information that would support the administration's position, but given the sensitive nature of the information, Haynes offered written material instead. Ben Sass shared Cotton's skepticism, but opted to keep his question for a closed session where the witnesses could speak more freely. He did weigh in on the matter, however, after calling Cotton's question the most significant part of the hearing thus far. Putin will embrace the idea that we might self-deter every time he issues a press release. And the laurely hair-splitting about providing this kind of weaponry is not escalatory, but providing the kind of weapon, but providing that kind of weaponry is escalatory. I don't think we really believe that, Sass said. I think the administration is pushing the intelligence community to give them cover for lean-forward decisions they don't want to be making. Even Richard Burr took a cue from Cotton and questioned the logic behind the administration's decision-making. Burr noted that both the U.S. and Poland are part of NATO, so it's curious that the United States will give Poland a green light to transfer aircraft to Ukraine, but changes their mind when the planes come from an American airbase. I draw this conclusion this is a policy decision, Burr said, noting that intelligence and policies are typically less separate. My hope is that we haven't as an intelligence community, put our finger on the scale of a policy decision that's been made, Burr said. In response, Haynes says she does not believe there is any policy pressure being put on intelligence analysis. Um, This is the president that said, elect me because I can go toe-to-toe with Putin. Uh, He should have said, elect me and I will run from Putin as fast as I possibly can. Now, listen, I am not saying let's get into a war with Russia. I'm not saying that. I don't. But my gosh, could we at least project some bravery, some courage? 
Could could Biden project just a fraction of the courage that Zelensky is projecting? I, I mean, like or hate Donald Trump. My gosh, if Trump was in there, do you think he'd be waving the flag and quivering in his corner? We've got to take a time out. Stay with us. Lots more to talk about. News and Views continues right after this. Shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. Well, the drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in March 10th, 2022. It's National Landline Telephone Day. Now, if you're under 10 years old, you're probably saying, what is that? What is a landline? Yeah. Remember the old uh, dial-up? The um, weather forecast, a chance of rain this evening, then it will... Uh, wind down chance of rain tonight is only 30 percent tomorrow looks pretty good it looks like tomorrow friday is going to be the day to get outside partly sunny a high near 65 the showers come back in tomorrow night and rain likely most of saturday 90 percent chance of rain on saturday then it clears off and it gets pretty cool on sunday the sunday high is only 49 and uh, i think the low saturday night is going to be like 24 wow yeah one more little uh, respite, but middle of next week, we're back into the 70s. Weather brought to you by Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Warmer weather right around the corner. What a better way to enjoy the outdoors with family and friends than being greenside or poolside. Voted best golf course in Greenville three years in a row, Ironwood Golf and Country Club is waiving all initiation fees and wants you to join in the fun and become a member today. Not a golfer? Hey, Ironwood's new social membership includes access to their competition-sized swimming pool, clay surface tennis courts, and member-only full-service restaurant. For more information, contact membership director Jenna Doyle. Jenna's number is 252-752-4653. So Jesse Smollett was supposed to be sentenced today. Well, he is being sentenced today. The... um, how does this guy get away with it? He shows up to his sentencing hearing 25 minutes late. <laughs> and he, he, he walks in with his entourage 25 minutes late. The defense team begins to argue. Uh, they have an 83-page post-trial motion demanding a new trial. The uh, judge of the trial said, no, no, we're going to toss that. And, uh, but, but I'm looking online during the break. I looked up again, this thing started at uh, two 25 Eastern time, one It's supposed to start at one o'clock started uh, 25 minutes late, uh, Chicago time. But, um, so far they still haven't come out with what the sentencing is going to be. Um, and I believe he was charged like $150,000 to pay for all the overtime that, um, the police officers had to put in there, but uh, as soon as we find out, we'll let you know. But Jesse is uh, probably going to be spending some time, at least with an ankle bracelet, if not behind bars. Daily Wire is reporting Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey cornered Press Secretary Jen Psaki on both her claims that inflation was likely to be temporary and that the Biden administration's repeated insistence that the rising cost of gas could be tied solely to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, 
again, I've said this numerous times. Peter Ducey is the only guy in the White House press room. Now, I know there's there's probably some others I know that are at lesser publications that don't get to ask the questions that Peter Ducey gets to ask because he's from Fox News. They give him a higher priority. Uh, I'm wondering how long it's going to be before they try to toss Peter from the press room because he keeps asking these questions and he doesn't let up. Here is Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki from earlier today. Cut three. We just heard you say again that you think inflation is going to be temporary. We've heard you say that it was going to be temporary since last spring. So how long do you guys think temporary is? Well, again, Peter, I think what we do is we rely on the assessments of the Federal Reserve and of outside economic analysts who give an assessment of how long it will last. The expectations and their assessment at this point continues to be that it will moderate by the end of the year. There's also no question that when a foreign dictator invades a foreign country and when that foreign dictator is the head of a country that is the third largest supplier of oil in the in the world, that that is going to have an impact, and it is. And so to that point, inflation goes up today. The president's statement blames the Putin price hike. Are you guys just going to start blaming Putin for everything until the midterms? Well, we've seen the price of gas go up at least 75 cents since <laughs> President Putin lined up troops on the border of Ukraine. Um, The right answer to that question is yes, we will continue to blame everything on Putin until the midterms. I I said this yesterday. The Biden White House ought to be sending Putin some sort of gift, commemorate his anniversary or his birthday or something, because this is the perfect out for a White House that doesn't have any idea what they're doing. They can now blame it on Putin. You know, it's really interesting if you if you go online and and uh, that that story is in the Daily Wire. Go online and watch the video. It's interesting to see the nonverbals of the other reporters, their faces, because you know I, I'm I'm sure there are people there that oh here comes Peter Ducey again asking another question, but some of the reporters you can you can look at look at them and tell that. I wish I had the guts to ask those kind of questions. I wish I, I, wish I had the courage to uh, go against the narrative. I mean, th- this guy has got some moxie and some courage. I mean, it, it takes courage when you're the only one out of, uh, and again, I realize there's a few others, but out of, out of the mainstream, you're the only one that is asking these hard questions. I think I think some of those reporters are actually envious that he has got the uh, gonads to get out there and ask the questions that they're all fearful to ask. By the way, uh, yesterday we were talking to Greg Murphy, and uh, we're talking about the new uh, omnibus bill that the Democrats in the House passed last night. Now, the good news is I don't think it's going to pass the Senate. In fact, I'd be shocked if Joe Manchin voted for it. Again, uh, I I don't know that we want Joe Manchin in the Republican Party, but I'm happy he is uh, more conservative than the rest of his party, or at least moderate. But uh, so they they voted to pass their omnibus bill. Then they, uh, and it, it lasted late into the night. Then they're going on a retreat up to Philadelphia. Why would you go to Philadelphia of all the places? 
<laughs> I can think of a whole lot of other areas I'd rather go on a retreat than Philadelphia. But uh, they got on a bus from D.C. and they headed up to Philadelphia. This is bizarre. So they hired entertainment for last night. Now, I don't know what time they got in for the entertainment. I mean, if, if, if I was in that uh, on that trip, I, I'd be, um, you know, I, I'd want to get some shut-eye. But they hired some entertainment. They hired a drag queen to come and perform for congressional Democrats during their policy retreat. That's bad enough. But this drag queen, Lady Bunny, quote, an iconic drag queen, <laughs> whatever that's supposed to be. Oh, my. Yeah. So scheduled to perform on Wednesday. Now, I don't know. Maybe they pushed it back till today since they didn't get up there so late. But this Lady Bunny has been anything but kind to Joe Biden. I mean, he's called, he, the, the drag queen, he has said Joe Biden is senile. He's a white supremacist. He, this drag queen, Lady Bunny, has called his voters dim-witted. So, uh, now, she, well, Bunny cannot be overly bright herself. He, he called Biden a senile conservative who has been accused by eight women of sexual misconduct. Only someone in a cult would bother supporting him, Bunny wrote in a tweet. Um, obviously, they didn't do a real good job vetting Lady Bunny. This is the person you're going to bring in. I mean, first of all, the Democrats have got such a terrible image anyway that why would you want to have a drag queen come in and headline as your entertainment? Only the Democrats. Carolina Journal is reporting North Carolina Senate voted last night to adjourn the longest session in the legislature in decades, effective March the 10th. The adjournment resolution calls to reconvene the state legislature on April the 4th, then gavel out until May the 4th. The beginning of the short session would officially begin on May the 18th. I have to ask uh, Keith why they, why they do that that way. Keith uh, Kidwell will be here in, in a little bit. The adjournment measures um, Senate Resolution 7, 8, uh, 748 passed the Senate unanimously and now goes to the House. Well, it was going to go to the House this morning where they're going to vote on it. Um, at, at the end of the day, uh, they tried to override the mask mandate, the Free Smiles Act, Senate Bill 173. Uh, they needed a three-fifths majority. That bill would have given parents the right to opt out of school mask mandates policy on behalf of their children without providing a reason. And uh, as you can imagine, even though it passed when it was first brought up back on February 17th with a veto-proof majority, 76 to 42, two Democrat senators voted yes on Free the Smiles. The bill um, didn't make it past the uh, veto-proof majority when it was re-voted on uh, earlier this week. So, um, guess what? You, if, if you happen to be in a district that still require, and you, you know, if you're up in Chapel Hill, you probably still have to wear a mask, right? Uh, fortunately, most of the state, the local municipalities, the local school boards have said uh, no masks required. Republican lawmakers, according to the News and Observer, lost their recent U.S. Supreme Court appeal. We talked about that earlier 
to stop the 2022 elections from being held using congressional maps. The lawmakers didn't get to draw the maps themselves, but the special appointees, the map masters, uh, drew them for them. So the Supreme Court didn't take up the case, but some in the party hope Monday's ruling is just the first step in a coming legal fight and not the final word. That's because the core of the GOP argument is much more about than just maps and redistricting, and the court could still still take it up if the legislature asks. Quote, we're evaluating our options and have not made any final decisions, said Lauren Horsch, the spokeswoman for the North Carolina Senate, Phil Berger. The legislature argument is that the state courts should have no power to make any decisions that affect federal elections, including but not limited to gerrymandering lawsuits. Neither should the executive branch, the lawmakers argued. Instead, they say all decision-making power and influence over the federal elections should belong to the legislature alone. Now, liberal critics are saying this would be a radical change. No, it wouldn't. (laughs) The radical change is moving away from both the North Carolina Constitution as well as the U.S. Constitution, which makes it pretty clear that it is the state legislature's responsibility and it is they are the ones that have the power to draw these maps and make election law. The North Carolina case is not the first to push the argument known as the independent state legislature doctrine. Now, what's interesting about this is this last week, you had um, three justices that wanted to hear the case. That was Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch. Brett Kavanaugh sided with the sentiment that the case ought to be heard, but he voted against hearing it now because he said it's too close to the elections. We just need to let the elections go forward. And he made that fairly clear in his, uh, in, in his written statement. So the question really comes down to, okay, and, and by the way, four, it only takes four to hear the case. So uh, let's, let's assume that those four agree to hear the case. It then falls upon Amy Coney Barrett. What will happen to Amy Coney Barrett? Which way will she vote? Will she, um, again, if they hear the case, and this would, this would really affect all states across the nation, Whose states constitution, and again, the federal constitution makes it pretty clear who's in charge of these, uh, um, uh, the the power to make election law. Uh, but depending on what your state constitution says as well, it would e- either increase or decrease the the likelihood of uh, your state wanting this to be uh, to be heard. But uh, I, I'm I would hope. I'm going to ask Keith. I'll find out whether or not he thinks that uh, the leadership will press forward. Let's go ahead and take a time out. When we come back, we're going to play political trivia. Give us a call, 561-8255. Got a good prize package, your category, Daylight Savings Time. All right, 561-8255. Give us a call. We'll plan a little bit. Welcome back in. Time for a little political trivia. 561-8255. Got a good prize package and a good question for you. Your category, Daylight Savings Time. 561-8255. 
Prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. We've got a gift certificate from Fit for Life 24, including two free training sessions with a fitness coach, a $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno for lunch or dinner, Mucho Bueno, real Mexican street food located in front of the Westbrook Shopping Center, US 70 West in Havelock, a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden, delicious bakes from scratch made goodies, also an Ironwood Golf uh, gift certificate, and a $100 gift certificate for tax services at any of the area Kidwell H&R Block offices. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family has won recently, that's 60 days past before you play again. 561-8255 is the number. Got a couple lines open. Your category, Daylight Savings Time. Let's go down to Chocowinity. Adam is on the line. Hey, Adam. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. You ready to play? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Daylight savings time begins this Sunday morning at 2 a.m. Approximately 40% of the world adjusts their clock for daylight saving times each year. Daylight saving time was first seriously proposed back in 1895 in New Zealand by a man who worked for the Postal Service because he wanted more hours of sunlight in the summer months to pursue his unusual hobby. What was this hobby that he needed more sunlight so he could pursue it? And that's a good question. <laughs> I do know who uh, won a daylight savings time here in the, in the United States, but I don't know the answer to that one. Take a wild guess. What hobby do you think he had? Uh, I don't know. Was it farming? Uh, it was not farming, but interestingly, uh, farmers would be very interested in this. So uh, there, there's a little hint for the next caller. 561-8255, that opens up a line. Let's go to Mike in Newburn. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? Doing well. So what do you think? This guy in New Zealand who wanted extra hours to pursue his summer months hobby, which is an unusual hobby, and a uh, little hint there from Adam is that uh, it would also be something that farmers would have an interest in. What do you think his hobby was? I'm going to take a wild guess and say cow tipping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cow, <laughs> cow tipping was not it. That is a good <laughs> guess. That is not it. Thanks for the All call, right, Mike. 561-8255. Uh, that would be an interesting hobby to have. 561-8255. Daylight saving time. Again, remember to uh, spring forward. You lose an extra hour of sleep this week. So what was this guy's hobby? It's time for a hint, I think. Let's go to Don. You ready for a hint, Don? Yes, sir. All right. It would be safe to say that this hobby would be shared by a very small number of people. And I'll also tell you this that in New Zealand, this hobby would probably have special significance because they have species that are enormous as compared to the same species in the United States. Mm -hmm. What was the hobby? Collecting bugs. You got it! <laughs> Congratulations, Don. Was that a guess or did you know it? I knew it. I had been... Uh 
looking up. We just looked it up the other day to friends of mine to see what their origin of that was, and that uh, that's what we had found. How about that? Yes, George Hudson of New Zealand was into bugs, and uh, he wanted a couple of extra hours every night to go bug hunting. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if you saw when you were looking it up, but they've got some cricket-looking characters that, over there that are the size of mice. They're huge. Anyway, congratulations. Uh, where are you calling from? Vanceburg. North all right. Carolina. Very good. Well, hold on the line, and Clark's going to get all your information, and uh, we'll be right back with Keith Kidwell to talk a little politics. Folks, these are dark times. Just like the other day, I stopped, stubbed my toe on the bed because it was so dark. The toenail, it turned black and blue. I think it's gonna, it's gonna fall off. Saturday night, we spring ahead. We must choose light over darkness for the safety of all Americans and, and, for, and, and for their toes. And shine light on the news of the day. Look, no, really, look at my toe. That's gross, man. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Congratulations, Don Jones of Vanceboro, North Carolina. He got our political trivia right that uh, daylight savings time was first suggested by George Hudson of New Zealand because he wanted to go out and uh, pursue his hobby of studying bugs. He actually wanted a two-hour time change, so he was really into it. But um, it, it, it didn't pass back in uh, 1895, but uh, it has since. I guess it, it became a... Uh, there's still a couple of states, I believe, that uh, that don't um, do daylight savings. I think Indiana, part of Indiana, doesn't do it. Kansas doesn't do it either. Kansas, City, Kansas, you have to get all messed up when you go travel one to the other. Keith Kidwell, that's the melodious tones, uh, tones of Keith Kidwell, who's uh, in studio with us, getting ready for a little tax talk. Um, you finally are done. Congratulations. You were a part of the longest session, I guess, in North Carolina history. Is that that right? is correct. Yep. Longest session ever. I, I, you know, good to set records. Not sure that's the one I was going for. <laughs> it's a, supposed to be a part-time job. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a question for you. Um, I was talking about this earlier in the program. So the North Carolina Senate voted last night to adjourn. And then you all, in the Senate side, and then you all voted this morning to adjourn the House. Um, Carolina Journal is saying that the adjournment resolution calls to reconvene the state legislature on April the 4th, then gavel out until May the 4th. The beginning of the short session would officially begin on May the 18th. Why did they do that? So it's basically trying to protect the people. If we uh, go what's called sine die, official adjournment, uh, both chambers would leave. That would be the end of it until the short session begins. This allows us, without having to go through the rigmarole of either getting the governor to call us in or to get 72 votes to call us back in, uh, we can actually just reconvene session on those days. So we're only a month out right now from we can go back and deal with whatever the governor tries to do wrong in the next month. So uh, when now your session is uh, the goal of the short session would be to be out in about 30 days. Is what we're, I heard. we're hopeful. Yes, that, that was the goal last my first <laughs> my first two years. You're an optimist. Is, I'll give you that. And, and we didn't get out, I think, in, in our short session last time. We didn't get out till October. But we, we are hopeful uh, that we'll just have some budget tweaks. Of course, 
you know, not that we have a lot of impact with what happens on the world scene, but I would imagine if something really goes bad, we're going to have to deal with that. So we, we may end up being longer if that happens, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to not have to deal with that and just go in and do the budget tweaks and local legislation, things of that nature that we can deal with during the short, because we're very limited in what we can do in a short session. What, 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 give me a little bit of parameters. What so short- we, we can tweak items on the budget if we need to move money from one pile to another for some reason, if there's a, uh, some different constraints that need to be uh, either released or enforced on monies, we can do that. We can introduce and pass local legislation, uh, things of that nature, and that's pretty much about it. Okay. Or, or something that has already been passed through goes to a committee and comes back for concurrence votes, things of that nature. But you can't change the overall budget. It's got to no. the the parameters of the budget. The total money spent has got to stay. To- total spend stays there. So last night when the Senate uh, adjourned, they tried to veto. Uh, they tried to override uh, Roy Cooper's veto on the Free the Smiles Act, Senate Bill One Seventy Three. It, it didn't they didn't override that veto so i'm assuming you guys didn't even bother with it yeah this morning. so since that was an original senate bill they get to they get the first shot at the override if they fail it doesn't come to our house okay okay and uh, were you surprised they tried to override that i'm surprised they tried to override it without having the votes yeah you, you don't go for a veto override unless you know you have the votes uh, you know, we've shown them how it's done on the House side. I mean, we, we slam dunked the last veto override we did on, on last session's budget. So, Was there uh, any other uh, pieces of legislation that were out there that the governor vetoed that you thought that there would be a, a slight chance that you could override? No. Okay. The, and, and the reason I say that so quickly is we pretty well know, Tom, this was really the only bill that we passed – that had any contention at all to it, uh, that we actually had a veto-proof majority on the first run. So the House and Senate both had, I think in the House we had 78 votes, uh, and the the Senate had 32, I think it was. And when we come back on the veto override, the Democrats, not a single one, uh, would turn because our understanding is Cooper told them, if you get out of line, you're going to lose your seat. Yeah. So that's pretty much the way he operates. There was an interesting article in World Magazine written by a guy named Russell Volt, and um, he made the point that you know, for a lot of years, well, first of all, the, the Democrats are, are, are so uh, out of step with where mainstream America is in terms of so many different issues, the transgender issue, CRT, uh, the, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, even, even the pro-life issue, I mean, the Democrats are way out of step. He, the point he made, though, is, you know, the Republican Party as a whole has also, while they will not talk down those issues, they won't talk up those issues. And I'm talking about not the conservative hard right of the Republican Party, but I'm talking more about the establishment country club Republicans. Mm-hmm. And, and his point was it's interesting to see how that is changing. And I think one of the reasons you have that changing is because you have a lot of people out there that have been elected on those issues. You have you got a number of people that are you know are are, are outspoken Christians and diehard conservatives that look at these these issues that are near and dear to mom and dad and the, the wholesome family environment, and they're saying, you know what, I'm going to run on these these issues, and they've been elected. 
And I got to say, uh, Keith, I'd put you in that category. I mean, you, 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 if anybody has any doubts about where you stand on those issues, when I read that article, I thought of you because uh, you've been Mr. Consistency from the time you've gotten up there and you have not wavered one iota. Well, you know, I, I think I learned that lesson probably one from my mother. She always taught me to, to stand on your principles and do not compromise them. Uh, so that that's kind of the way I was raised. And then also, uh, you know, I, I've been married 40 years, Tom. <laughs> Made an oath to my wife. I've stood by that oath. I'm going to continue to do it. Go when I take it. an oath, I take it seriously. There you go. My oath was not to the party. My oath is not to the governor. It's not to the Speaker of the House. My oath is to the Constitution there of the go. United States and the state of North Carolina. And I understand how to read them. I keep both of those in my pocket on my desk. And, and I, that's my resource, that and the Bible. Would you agree with Russell Volt that you see is, – is the tide changing at least a little bit? We do see that. First, let's go back to – was it 1992, I think, when the, one of the first concealed carry laws was passed in the United States. I think it was Florida. Uh, now almost all states have yeah. concealed carry where you can actually get it. You know, New York and California have them, but you can't really get one. Uh, also, we've seen a big change in the pro-life movement over the years. I've been involved in pro-life movement for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that we went from very little input, even from churches, did not used to participate in the pro-life movement. And we see more and more of that every day at the pregnancy centers, both here in Greenville and right. Washington. So right. we, we have churches that are pledging and supporting and doing fundraisers. Back when my wife was the director 20 years ago, we very rarely got that. No. So no. We're, we're seeing a big change in that. Um, America itself, not the big cities, not Charlotte, not you know New York, not California, but the suburbs, where we, or not the, 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 the areas where we are, rural areas, are definitely going more conservative and becoming more vocal. And that's really a big part about it. Uh, we have got to, as a group, as people, as Americans, we have got to stay in touch with our politicians. And the best way to do this, I tell people this at all the, the meetings I go to, emails are okay. Not the greatest because some of those just don't get read. We just get bombed with emails. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't uh, get them all. Yeah. Send a letter is better. Call them on the phone is even better still. But the best thing you can do is get in your car and drive to Raleigh. Get in their face and let them know how you feel. Now, I can tell you just a week and a half, two weeks ago, I got a law passed. I think we talked about this in eight hours because we got on the phone and we called and said, fix this. And the people did it. We, we motivated over 3,000 people to call the Senate and bomb them with phone calls in a matter of hours. You've got a primary coming up. Is I May do. the 17th? Uh, May 17th, yes. And, uh, yeah, surprising, you know, I guess the good news is that uh, we see a lot of people uh, jumping in the fray. And now, uh, you know, there are a lot of – it's interesting. You and I were talking during the break. When people run during uh, primaries or the general election, whether they're Democrat or Republican, they try to brand themselves as being much more conservative. And in the Democrats' case, it's sort of hard to believe. But um, – uh, the the positive is you, you see a lot of people getting into the process. Hopefully that's good news. Hopefully they are as conservative as they say they are. But you actually have somebody that's uh, primarying you. I do, yeah. And and he came out in the county convention and indicated that he was running because he was very conservative. Um, I've won six awards, including a CPAC award, in my first three years. Um, it's going to be hard to beat that i was gonna say that's that's some pretty heavy duty credentials there (laughs) yeah and and i'm known in the house as a conservative conscience of the house uh so 
Wear, wear that as a badge of courage, my friend. I do. Yeah. I do. Congratulations again to Don Jones, who won our political trivia from Vanceboro, North Carolina. Hey, we got to run, but we're going to do it again tomorrow. See you at 5 o'clock. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.